Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Five different entities that Jesus addressed when he was hanging on the cross. The first one that I want to talk to you about begins in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Now why would Jesus say this? Now the woman that was standing there was his mother, his mother Mary. And uh, the disciple that Jesus loved was his brother John. So why would Jesus make that statement? Why would he say, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother? Here's the reason. Because if we study biblical history, we'll find out that more than likely Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, had passed away. And in Jewish culture, the responsibility of taking care of the mother falls upon the oldest son. So Jesus was the oldest son of Joseph and Mary. Obviously, he was God's son, but he was known as the son also of Joseph and Mary. So he was the oldest son. So Jesus was on the cross. Mary's standing there. She's weeping. She's in grief. Uh, John, his brother who he grew up with, is there, and he's in grief. And Jesus immediately looks and says, Mama, I want you to now rely upon John. And John, I want you to take care of mama. That's what was going on there. That's what was being said there. And so we see that the first, one of the first things that Jesus did was to make sure that his earthly house was in order, to make sure that his mother was taken care of, and to make sure that, his, that the right person was taking care of her. Now, without going too far down this rabbit trail, let me say this. God has put it, the responsibility of our parents on us. And we should do whatever we can to take care of our parents. If your parents are alive, you should do whatever you can to make sure that your parents are taken care of. Now, as you get older and your children get grown, I'm speaking from experience, and they start having children of their own, then I don't mean to, I I got a couple of them here today, but your parents... Uh, Not only are the grandchildren coming and they're young, but your parents are aging. And so you need to make sure that they have what they need. The Bible still says that we are to honor our father and our mother, that our days would be long upon the land which the Lord God gives us. That doesn't mean just honor them until you're grown up. It means honor them until they have gone up. Amen? So I want to encourage you, to try to go, well, my daddy didn't treat me right. My mother didn't treat me right. Let me tell you something. Bishop Johnson, we were over in Jamaica. We have some churches in Jamaica. Those of you that are around here know that. Bishop Johnson, during our convention, and convention is the busiest time of the year in Jamaica for the churches. Every single day, Johnson would take off, and he would be gone for two or three hours. Finally, one day, he told me, he said, I'm sorry I have to be gone. He said, but my dad is in the hospital 
and he's not doing well, and I'm going down every day, checking on him, down to Lucy, checking on him, making sure he's okay, taking him something to eat. Well, then he was having to drive an hour back up to pick us up, and then another, another half hour over to where convention was, and we got word just uh, last week or the week before that his father had passed away. And so he took care of him. And so I asked him, I said, Johnson, I said, were you close to your father? Are you close to your father? He said, actually, no. He said, we weren't close when I was growing up. And he said, but in, in his last days, he, just, he said, I just want to make sure that, he's, that we're cool, cool. You know, that everything's good. That's, and that's how he said, cool, cool. That everything's cool, cool with my, with my father. And he honored his father and took care of his father. This is what was going on on the cross. Jesus was letting his brother know, you need to take care of mama. And so that's what he did. The Bible said from that day forward, John took her to his house. So no longer did she go home. Now she didn't go home to Jesus' house. Now she went to John's house and he took care of her. So Jesus, the first entity that he spoke into was family. And just let me say in passing, Jesus is still speaking into families today. He still speaks to fathers. He still speaks to mothers. He still speaks to children. Jesus is still speaking into families today. The second entity that Jesus spoke to on the cross was His heavenly Father. In Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34, the Bible says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Jesus was praying to the heavenly Father for those who were crucifying Him. He said, Father, forgive them. In the midst of His pain, in the midst of His grief, those that drove the nails through his hands, those that drove the nails through his feet, those that whipped him with the cat of nine tails, those that crushed the crown of thorns upon his head, those that plucked his beard, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were following instructions, thinking that they were killing a criminal, but really what was happening, Jesus was offering himself as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Now, I put a little something on our Facebook page. We have a private Facebook page. If you're a member, you get it. I put a little something on there this past week. I think it was on Friday. And I said, please do not devalue this day. Jesus was not a bunny that laid a chocolate egg. He was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Amen. And so we got to make sure in the midst of our festivities and whatnot that we don't forget the value of this wonderful day. And then in Mark chapter 15 and verse number 34, Jesus stretched His hands out, speaking to the Father, and He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? When I look at that, and when I think of those words, I think, you know, Jesus suffered rejection. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. The Bible says that He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. In that moment, when Jesus had His hands stretched out, hanging suspended between heaven and earth, when He cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus was paying the price for your feelings of rejection. Have you ever felt rejected? Have you ever felt used? Have you ever felt passed over? Have you ever felt like people didn't treat you right? 
Have you ever wondered, why does people not understand me? How come I'm here by myself? Jesus felt that way. I want to ask you a question. One week earlier, they were laying palm branches in front of him as he came into Jerusalem, crying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where were the 5,000 that he fed with five loaves and two fishes? Where were the people that he healed, blind Bartimaeus? Where were those that he cast devils out of? Where were the crowds that he taught sitting on the mountainside and teaching the Beatitudes? Where were all of these people when Jesus hung suspended between heaven and earth? Where were they? A week later, they were on his team, but now they couldn't be found. How quickly things can change. That's how rejection works. One minute you feel accepted. One minute you feel okay. One minute you feel like you can conquer the world. And the next minute you feel rejected and used up and torn apart. And you feel like that nobody cares about you. When Jesus died on the cross and said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus did that, he was paying the price for his presence in your life. He was getting rid of those feelings of rejection. And now he says, he's a friend that'll stick closer than a brother. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. You're not alone. You're not rejected. God is always with you. Then in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, Jesus made this statement. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Romans did not kill Jesus. The Jews did not kill Jesus. The church did not kill Jesus. The Bible said that Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The only time that Jesus let go of his spirit was when it was finished. And so he died of his own accord when the sacrifice for humanity was complete. The third entity that Jesus spoke to from the cross not only his family and his father, but the third entity was the lost. Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, Jesus looked at the thief that was hanging there on the cross, and he said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, I don't know what happened with the other thief, but I know that, that Jesus hanging on the cross with hands pierced and with feet pierced and bleeding out, and heaving to get his breath, accomplished the first convert of the New Testament church. He led the thief to Jesus. And listen, let me tell you, I think the message was this. It doesn't matter if you have committed a sin so horrendous that society sentences you to death. There's still enough power in the blood of Jesus to cleanse you of your sin and to eradicate you of that sin. And Jesus will still accept you into his kingdom. See, here's the thing. God has the ability to forgive us when we don't have the ability to forgive others. Because He's God. He's God. And He loves you, and He loves me, and He loves every single one of us. So the message in this part is simply this. It doesn't matter how lost you feel you are, you're never so lost that God can't find you. David said it like this, If I go to the highest of hills, God is there. If I go to the lowest part of the earth, God is there. He said, Where shall I flee 
from his presence. God is always there. Let me tell you something. Right in the midst of the muck and the mire of your life, God is there. Well, how come he doesn't do something? Have you asked him to do something? Have you asked him to come into your heart? Have you asked him to come into your life? Are you in that kind of relationship with God? Have you surrendered your life to him so that he can actually have a part in your heart and in your life? Well, well, yeah, but God hasn't done what I've asked him to do. Well, God knows our end from our beginning and maybe what you're asking him to do is not what's in your best interest. Can I just dig in where we're living for just a few moments? Maybe you're dating someone you shouldn't be dating. Your flesh says, I want that person, but God sees down the road where that person's going to beat you up. And God, you're saying, but God, and God's saying, no. Why would he say no? Because he loves you. Because he cares about you. You remember that, young people. You remember that. Some of you older folks. Well, God's just not answering. I, I, God's not answering my prayers when it comes to my family. Maybe God's not answering them like you want him to. But God never, ever leaves a prayer unanswered. So Jesus was talking to this lost person, and this lost person gave their life to him, this thief on the cross. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus is still talking to lost people. Here's what he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The fourth entity, the fourth person that Jesus was talking to from the cross was whoever would listen. So in other words, he was talking to everyone under the sound of his voice, and obviously his voice went throughout the ages. But Jesus was talking, and here's what he said. He said, I thirst. Who was he talking to? Was he talking to his mother? I don't know. Was he talking to the Romans? I don't know. Maybe the Jews that were standing there overseeing the, the carrying out of the sentence of death upon him. Maybe, maybe those. I don't know. Jesus said... I thirst. And the Bible said they put vinegar and water and they gave it to him to drink. So Jesus was speaking to whoever would listen. When I was going through this, my mind went back to John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, where the Bible says this, If anyone thirst, let him come unto me and drink of the water of life freely. You remember the woman at the well? Jesus looked at her and he said, if you knew who you were asking, you would have asked me to give you water to drink and I would, I would have put inside of you a well that would cause you to never thirst again. Jesus is our living water. He's our living water. But at, the, at that moment, he was crying out and he was saying, I thirst to whoever would listen. And, in the, and at that moment when he said, I thirst, he paid the price for our thirst for His presence. And now, there's no reason for us to thirst His presence. There's no reason for us to thirst the move of God in our life. What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to say. If you're thirsty, you can drink of His Spirit this morning. You do not have to leave this place spiritually parched. You can leave this place liquefied. Amen. You can leave this place filled up with God. That's what you can do. And so 
So I pray sometimes, Lord, send the rain. Lord, send the rain. Not, not necessarily outside, but Lord, send the rain. Lord, send spiritual rain. Lord, let us get a good drink. Get under the spout. When I was growing up, they'd say, Lord, put us under the spout where the glory of God comes out. You know, And we would see, we'd get these visual pictures of God just pouring out of heaven into our lives. Well, I want to tell you something. Just like Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, I'll not just give you water, but I'll put in you a well. That same Jesus will not just give you a drink today, but he'll put a well in you if you let him. What do you mean by that? Well, the Bible said out of your belly would flow rivers of living water. <laughs> That's speaking, and the Bible said, thus this spake he of the Spirit. He was speaking of Holy Spirit. And then number five, conversations from Calvary. Jesus spoke to his family. Jesus spoke to his father. Jesus spoke to the lost. Jesus spoke to who would ever listen. And then the last thing that I want to talk about today when it comes to who Jesus was speaking to, was Jesus was speaking to the ages. In John chapter 19 and verse number 30, Jesus cried out, It is finished. Those words, it is finished, resound throughout the ages today. They resound all across our land, all across this globe, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and all around. What was He saying? From the, eons, uh, from the eons of eternity past to the eons of eternity future, Jesus was saying, it is finished. He was saying, the sacrifice of Calvary is finished. No longer will a lamb or a turtle dove or something like that have to die on Calvary because the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world has just entered into the holy place. The veil in the temple was written twain from top to bottom and Jesus went into the presence of Almighty God in God's earthly throne and throne room and the Bible said that he sprinkled the blood there upon that earthly throne room. The veil in the temple was written twain not to keep God in but to let us sin. Hallelujah. So the veil in the temple was written twain to let us in to the holiest of holies because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, when he cried, it is finished, was crying, the sacrifice of eternity is finished. You don't have to look for the Messiah anymore. The Messiah has come. There doesn't have to be another lamb slain from the foundation of the world because the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world has come. No more nails need to be driven in anyone's hands for the redemption of man. No one else has to go to a whipping post to pay for someone else to receive their healing. It is finished. It is done. So that's what he was saying. So not only was he saying it is finished, speaking of the sacrifice of Calvary, but here's what else he was saying. He was saying it is finished. What is finished? The devil's claim on your soul. It's finished. The devil doesn't have a right to you. He doesn't have a right to you. You belong to God. You belong to God. You give your life to Jesus. From that point on, you belong to God. The devil doesn't have a right to wreak havoc in your life. You need to draw a line in the sand and say, Devil, you can't cross that line. I'm not letting you cross that line. Furthermore, I'm not letting you rent space in my head anymore. I'm not going to let you tell me that I'm who, I, who you think I am. I'm going to tell you who God says I am. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the devil, so it is finished. It is finished. The devil's claim on your life. The devil's claim on your family. 
The devil's claim on your health. The devil's claim on your finances. The devil's claim on your mentality. It is finished. It is done. Jesus paid the price for you. He paid the price for you. And he paid the price for me. It is finished. It is done. Look at your neighbor and say, it is done. Hallelujah. So when he said it is finished, the Bible said that he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost and he died. All throughout the globe today, preachers in every language will probably make the statement I'm getting ready to make. I'm going to make it. He just got a borrowed tomb because he knew he wasn't going to have to have one for very long. Because he knew it wasn't very long and he was coming forth in resurrection and in power. When his eyes closed in death on this earth, hell began to tremble. You read it in your Bible. The Bible said that when Jesus cried, it is finished, hung his head and gave up the ghost. The Bible said that the earth quaked and the rocks rent the veil in the temple rent in twain from top to bottom, and the graves of the old saints opened, and they were walking through the streets of Jerusalem as great darkness covered the land. That is exactly what the Bible says. You could have bumped into Abraham going around the corner. You could have bumped into King David going around the corner. Why? Because Jesus had just went in to hell where they were having a party. He went in there as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, getting ready to overcome death, hell, and the grave. And he went in as the party crasher. And he crashed the devil's party. That's what he did. And the Bible said that he unshackled those that needed to go into the presence of God, that were in the paradise of God, and he took them into the presence of God. That's what he did. And so yesterday I did a little thing there. I said, the devil must have been trembling. I was sitting in my chair. I tried to take Saturdays off, and, and uh, don't always happen, but I try to. And just so everybody knows that those of us that work around here, we do try to take Saturday off. If we ask you to be here on a Saturday, it's not because we took another day off. If we come in on a Saturday, we're coming in on our day off too. So I just want you to know that, all right? I felt like I needed to clarify that. But I was taking the day off. And so I was sitting in my chair. And the thought, and th thought crossed my mind. You know what? A little over 2,000 years ago, right about now, the old devil was having a party. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> What happened? He began to tremble and he began to shake. Why? Because the one they were celebrating, they thought we killed him, we're done with him, we've conquered, it's over, and then the conqueror walks into the room. Hallelujah. And the devil starts shaking and he starts trembling and, and demons and imps are just... They're out of there. Why? Because the conqueror had come. Later on, yes, sir, yes, Herb, that's right, yes. Amen. So later on, next day, which is the day that we celebrate today, that day, seven words were uttered that changed the world. Mary was walking through 
going to the garden, wanted to anoint his body for burial, wanted to anoint him, go worship, go set, grieve at his tomb, and whatnot. She goes there, the stone is rolled away, and he's not there. She's walking back through the garden, and the Bible said that this person came up to her, and she thought he was the gardener, and she said, where have they laid my Lord? I, I, I want to come, and I want to, I want to uh, worship. I, I want to anoint him. I want to grieve, and all of that. And he looked at her, and he said, Mary. And as soon as he said her name, she recognized him. He knows his sheep by name. She runs back to Peter and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew and all the disciples. She runs back to where they're hiding out. And they said, Jesus is alive. And they're like, yeah, right. And she said, no, 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 no. Jesus is alive. And they're sitting around waiting for the not, you know. But no, that, the, the not never came because Jesus is alive. And they all of a sudden realized, you know, She's acting like she's serious. And then the Bible said that Peter and John took off running to where the tomb was, and John, being the young guy, i got to be careful here because I can make a couple of points here, but John, being the young guy, ran all the way to the tomb, and the Bible says, he said in his gospel, that he beat Peter to the tomb. But when he got to the mouth of the tomb, he didn't know what to do, so he just stood there and waited on Peter. And so what does Peter do? Peter comes and he just runs right into the tomb. And the Bible said he looks around and there is a napkin folded in a place by itself. Now, be, let me be very careful about what I'm going to say. I don't want to get off on this tangent. But listen, young folks, we might be able to run. But Y'all, I'm not that young anymore. Y'all might be able to run, but you need the wisdom of the older folks to help you know what to do when you get there. So God needs us to work together, okay? God needs. I think that John gave Peter a target. Peter's like, I gotta keep up with him. I gotta keep up with him. You know? But when Peter got there, he knew what to do. Later on in Scripture, these words were uttered by an angel. Here's the seven words that changed the world. He is not here. He is risen. And there's three more words that in one gospel says, like he said. Like he said. But there's seven words. He is not here. He is risen. What's the purpose of Jesus rising from the dead? Why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? How come he had to rise from the dead? Well, I, there's several answers to that question, but let me just kind of go, let me just kind of go da down a little track here. He here's the thing. When Jesus was on the face of this earth, God was using him. God was using him to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, to preach things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus was giving disciples at one time. He gave 70 different disciples power over unclean spirits. And the Bible said that they came back a couple of days later rejoicing because even the devils were subject unto him. Later on, those same people couldn't get, any, couldn't get anyone free. But when Jesus was on the face of this earth, God was using him. And it was wonderful and it was great. But Jesus had to go to heaven for a couple of reasons. Number one, he had to take his place on the right hand of the Father to become the head of the church. And number two, he had to get positioned to pour the same anointing that was upon his life corporately into the earth through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that that anointing would flow not just one time, but flow throughout the ages. 
And so that was why Jesus had to ascend into heaven. And then the last reason, and there's other reasons, but the last reason I want to touch on this morning that Jesus ascended into heaven was because He had to have some place to come back from. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 4, I mean 1 Thessalonians, the Bible says that the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet Him in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Where's He coming back from? He's coming back from heaven. From the right hand of the Father. In fact, when He ascended up into heaven, the Bible said two men stood by in wild apparel there on that mountain. And they said to the disciples and those that were around, Jesus was seen of over 500 brethren. He walked for 40 days after His resurrection, Acts 1 and 3, proving Himself with many infallible proofs. And then the Bible said, they said, Why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which has gone away, will so come in like manner as you have seen Him go into heaven. I had someone tell me about six months ago, they said, that sounds like Greek mythology to me. I said, tell me that after he comes. We have a neighbor. I keep trying to get him to come to church every now and then I'll ask him. He'll say, I'm an atheist. You know what I always tell him? That's temporary. (laughs) He just laughs at me. I don't have my glasses on this morning, so... I don't know, he might be here this morning. I can't really make out your faces. I don't know. Let me tell you something. Jesus went so that he could make sure that everything he paid for was established in the earth. Jesus died on Calvary so that we could give our life to Jesus. Jesus died on Calvary so that we could be healed of our sickness. Jesus died on Calvary so that we could have the peace of God that passes all understanding. He died for us to not just save us from our sins, but at times even to save us from ourselves. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed for just a few moments here this morning, I want us to take just a moment and look inside. And I want to ask you, have you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? The sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary was so that we could give our life to Him. That He could remove our sin as far as the east is from the west and remember that sin against us no more. Before Calvary, before Calvary, men could only approach towards God. But after Calvary, men can be in the presence of God. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. God turns His face away from sin and from sinful man. But when we give our life to Jesus, we have been redeemed. That means bought with a price. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And when God looks down and sees us after we've given our life to Christ, then He sees us through the veil of the blood, through the cleansing of the blood. Grace has been at work in our life. The blood has washed us and cleansed us and made us clean. And because of it now, We can have communion with God Himself through Jesus. If you're here today or you're watching online from anywhere around the world, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, 
I want to give you the opportunity to make Him the Lord of your life. First of all, you have to, all of us have had to at one time, but it's your time now. You have to make up your mind. I'm going to let God be the Lord of my life. I'm going to let Jesus be the Lord of my life. I'm going to give my life to God and let Jesus be the Lord of my life. And you have to decide inside, do I really believe that He's the Son of God? Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we can be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 1 John, the Bible says, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, and that's confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, I want to help you do that. I want you to just bow your head and in your own way say something similar to this in your own words. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I believe that you're God's son and that you died on Calvary for me and rose again. I now invite you into my life to be my Lord and to be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at me. That's a very simple prayer, but it covers all the basics. You have to accept, believe, and confess. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Believe that He is who He says He is. And confess Him as the Lord of your life. That didn't cost you anything. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all on Calvary. But I would be remiss and untruthful to tell you that to live for God won't cost you anything. Because I want to tell you, it may cost you something to live for God. I'm going to be truthful with you. There may be friends, people that you think are your friends, who won't want to be your friend anymore. So it might cost you friendships, but I promise you, God will give you better friends. He'll give you people that love God and that are with you to not use you, but to strengthen you and encourage you and to lift you up. It would also be very untruthful of me to stand up here and tell you that all of your troubles are over. God didn't tell us that we wouldn't face a trial, a temptation, or a test. That wasn't His promise. His promise is that we don't have to go through them alone. Now we have His help. You have His help. When you don't know what to do, where to turn, or where to, where to go, if you surrendered lordship of your life over to Jesus, then let Him make those decisions and ask Him to help you hear what He has to say. That you live now 
not a flesh-led life, but a spirit-led life. That's what it means to be a disciple, a fully devoted and developing follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you today, if you've taken that first step to give your life to Jesus, and I trust some of you did, and some of you online, I'm sure you did. If you've taken that first step, let us know so we can help you start growing in the Lord. Okay? Let's all stand to our feet. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.